welcome back to Techsperts. Uh, I'm your host, Troy Bargeman, uh, here again with Ed Rafter, and this is part two of our two-part episode with Ed Rafter. So Ed, we've touched on the Uptime Institute a little bit, uh, and we briefly touched on tier levels being uh, tier one to tier four, tier four being the absolute best, kind of the gold standard, if you will. I want to take a minute to define a couple of terms I know we're going to talk about one of which uh, capacity components that's something to do with all of the HVAC the electrical distribution uh, really whatever you need to support that critical load uh, there's also the uplink which is the equipment required to talk from internal to external um, so talking about that a little bit could you go into the tier levels and maybe give a little bit more of a definition or explanation Sure, um, and and thanks for bringing us to that because I think this would be very helpful to the conversation. The tier performance levels, there's actually four of them. So tier one, which is, the, the, as it, it sounds, it's the first level. It speaks to non-redundant capacity components uh, with a single uplink and, and servers. And by that I mean capacity components are, are UPS systems, engine generators, cooling units. And in a tier one, you only need N. And what is N? N is how much capacity do I need to support the, the equipment load that's out there? And that's cooling and electrical. Cooling and electrical, yes. So again, N refers to the IT equipment, the equipment that's on the floor. How much load is being drawn? That is the power that needs to supply it. And how much cooling do I need to take that heat away? But it's only N. Tier two speaks to uh, redundant capacity components. So tier two, builds on tier one. All the tiers built on the previous tier. Right. So now we're talking about, and if, I, if, I, if N is one UPS system, tier two would require two UPS systems in parallel, rated the same. So if one of them needed to be taken offline for maintenance, for example, um, you have the other UPS that continues to run. So tier two is all about redundancy in those capacity components. Tier three speaks to uh, dual powered equipment. So for those who aren't familiar with it, the equipment that sits in a rack on the floor, you actually have uh, two power cords instead of a single power cord that feeds it, that essentially drives it you actually have two. So those two power cords are redundant to each other. So the equipment by design, if it loses power from one side, the other side picks up all the load, whatever is required to keep that equipment fully operational on the other side. Uh, and it should be able to work either way. So you actually have dual power cords. Uh, that has become more the norm today than the exception. Back in the day, many of the equipment manufacturers are still trying to figure out 
how do I design my power supply inside the equipment to be able to meet that goal? And, and I'll give Ken Brill credit for that. There were a number of papers written at the time that helped guide that. So again, uh, I'll bring it back to the organizations that helped. So tier three, we talked about dual cord equipment. What I failed to speak to as well is it's also concurrently maintainable. So what does concurrently maintainable mean? So we move to the point where we have dual power cords coming into the equipment. Now let's take it back. Each of those power cords is from, let's say, a, a, a power distribution unit. And then that power distribution unit might be from a panel or a switchboard that is fed from a UPS system, okay? Uh, what I might want to do is have two UPS systems that essentially could, um, I could shut one of them down if I needed to. So if I needed to maintain one, I could do the other. Not just the UPS system, but also to the panel, to the uh, PDU. I should be able to shut down any piece in that line and do maintenance on it. So if you think about it, you've got a system plus system approach. So everything is mirrored. So this is where you get into an A-B distribution. You have the A side that is mirrored also by the B side. Okay, that is also quite costly. However, the benefits are, are profound there. Um, now let's get to tier four. Um, I, I, you did ask me about the uplink. So let's just say that uh, the power, there's where you have your, your uplink, if you will. Um, uh, you have dual power cords. Right. And the communications out of the equipment are also mirrored. So you have, uh, uh, let's say, dual communications yeah. um, uh, on, on the distribution side or the equipment side of the uh, equipment in the rack. Right. Now, Tier 4, what we're talking about is it needs to be Tier 3 plus it needs to have a level of what we call fault tolerance. So what is fault tolerance? If I were to say that there was a, a catastrophic failure in a switchboard, for some reason um, the switchboard blew up. It sounds pretty dramatic, but it's possible. If for some reason something happened, we had a bad connection, um, we might lose that switchboard. I should be able to continue to operate because I have an AB distribution. So if I lost the switchboard over here on the A side, the switchboard on the B side is still available and everything continues to run as it would. Anything that's connected off of that board, it might go down. But that's where you have redundant cooling, you have redundant power distribution, and I have proven that I could suffer a fault. I could suffer a fault of the utility. It happens all the time. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. So I could see a utility failure, but again, it's transparent. The uh, load continues to operate. The UPS picks up the load for a short term, generator starts, you transfer over. That's the most common one that people think of. But think about anything in that distribution, even a valve on a chill water pipe. If I lost the valve on a chill water pipe, all right, do I have another path so I can continue to maintain cooling? 
Can I touch on one thing briefly? Uptime only cares about things in your facility that you own and operate. So anything that provides power, uh, electrical, water, whatever that may be, that is not considered with the tier levels. Right, so good point. So if it's part of the critical infrastructure, part of the critical infrastructure, then depending on what tier you're looking for, you, you would observe what the requirements are. So if you have um, city water coming into the building, well, city water there um, might have uses, you know, for other features in the building, okay? That would not necessarily have to meet that. Right. However, on the tier side of it, if I lost a water supply, let's say it was a rupture, let's say it was a rupture out in the street of a water supply, how am I going to keep water moving, say to uh, cooling towers and so forth? Uh, then you might need to have a storage tank right. of chilled water. All right. Now, well, let's just say chilled water would be on the cooling side, but you might need to have domestic water or water that you're using for makeup. So again, there, there's a point in there where there's a definite separation. And, and that's where, it, in my experience, it becomes hard. So many design designers who aren't as familiar with those level of details, sometimes those miss, they miss those things. So again, trying to achieve a tier four, it's, it's a hell of an undertaking. And um, again, I, I've, I've seen it done very well. You touched a little bit on enterprise and co-location data centers. Uh, we've talked a little bit about tier levels. So where do the tier levels come into play with the different types of data centers? I know there's one here in Kansas City that's a tier four, and it's been awesome to go see and tour it and see what that actually is all about. But I don't really hear of others that get certified. Is there a reason for this? Or are there other data centers that meet these certifications? So um, there are a number of data centers here in the United States that at this time are designing and remediating to meet tier performance levels. Whether or not they go ahead and, and get certified, and this applies to all, there are elements of the tiers in every data center out there. So uh, if you don't do it completely, understand that if you have redundant capacity components, um, that, that's an element of the tier. The same thing with um, dual cord, which is very common out there. If you follow it through only partway, you're, you're still using part of that. Right. Uh, from the purest perspective on the uh, tier performance levels, there's still a lot of data centers, a lot of them outside of the United States okay. that are pursuing the, the, the tiers. Um, so it's still there. And as I said, there are those here and now that are pursuing it. Again, it's, it's a daunting task to get there because there's various parts that uh, not only you have to design to it, you have to construct to it, but you also have to demonstrate it. And and not everybody is comfortable with all of that. Well, not demonstrate it once, but over time. And yes. The ability to operate. Yeah. So uh, I, I would not say that there's, well, there's never been a large number that have done it, but there are those that continue to do it here. They may not advertise themselves as much, um, but they still do it. 
And uh, like I said, there's a lot of them outside of the United States that are doing it as we speak. Are those more of the co-location data centers or colo, we might refer to them here on out, um, or maybe even carrier hotels at one point? Okay, so um, some of them government-owned. So here, here's another thing that I'll just, now that we're on the subject. Um, government facilities, banking facilities, financial institutions of any description, they have oversight groups that are just keeping an eye on how they're doing things. Uh, many of the data centers we're speaking of, they might have pursued and been successful in achieving um, a tier three or tier four. Um, that is not at all uncommon. So some of what we're speaking to are those. There are the co-locations and uh, others, and, and some of them do it out of pride because, and rightfully so, um, they have, have demonstrated being planful. You know, they, they have projections as to how many thousand square feet a facility is gonna be built to. They build it out planfully in sections. They have processes and procedures in-house that allow them to forecast when they need to be looking at the next phase. Um, it, it, again, there's an entire list of, of, of benefits that come out of it. And I, and I need to emphasize that that entire process is the result of what we're talking about here now. From 40 years ago to being in a position that you can essentially build a shell today and you can build it out as you need it, okay? And you can build it in a way that you can minimize any uh, potential interruptions. I'm very impressed yeah. with how we've been able to do that as an industry, so. It's pretty fun getting to come in on the tail end and uh, seeing all this high tech stuff. Ed, can you touch a little bit on how often people use data centers on a day-to-day -day basis? I'd be glad to. I have to believe we've become so comfortable with our uh, social media, with our smartphones, um, with being able to jump on a Zoom meeting that many of us have to admit it's become a natural part of our daily living. We rely on a data center, quote unquote, for all of this, for financial, for uh, social interaction. We don't even think about it anymore. We expect it to be there. Businesses, education, I mean, the gambit is, is huge. Uh, all of these are examples of uh, how much we rely on data, on that communication link between my little computer sitting in my home office and you sitting in France, for God's sake. Uh, we, we take these things for granted. This leads us to you know, the data center as we've known it it's morphing now. Um, you, you have your uh, large hyperscale data center. You could have a smaller regional data center. You could have something in between the regional data center and what I would call edge computing. Um, we, as, as uh, many of the audience could probably attest to, don't fully even appreciate the extent to 
uh, how much, quote, data centers impact our lives. Right. So an interesting take that I've heard on that topic, because uh, edge, edge computing is all about getting the computing power smaller and bringing it closer to the end user or the customer. Um, so a manufacturer of one of these cabinets is actually kind of look like an end table uh, that you'd be able to set next to your couch at home and you'd have no idea. Um, but he was talking about, think about the shopping experience um, and doing a home renovation project. How many times do you go to Home Depot or Lowe's or whatever and just say, this is what I need. You get there, you pick it all up, get home, get into working and you forgot a screw or you forgot whatever. So now think about having small servers at the store where you can walk in or before you get there, say, I'm working on a deck um, and I'm adding stairs. So now they can say, pull up in your app. You need this item, this item, this item, this item. It's located at this aisle on this shelf. Um, there's these different brands uh, for all of it. These products, these have these reviews. I mean, it just completely changes how you can go shopping now just with a small, adding a couple servers to a store. So it's, I think that'd be pretty cool and just save a lot of time building the deck. And, and definitely, and um, that's a great example. I think we're gonna see this impacting our lives even more going forward because everything from, um, again, uh, being able to track you anywhere you go throughout the day, um, vehicles, electric vehicles, uh, being able to track those, and now you have smart vehicles. Um, you have to have something nearby that's gathering this information. So, you know, it, it, it's, it's organized plan and decisions can be made. I, I, th I think we're in a really amazing time where there's going to be another leap from it was 40 years ago from the, the, the old data centers, the um, legacy data centers, I'll call it, to what we're familiar with today. And I would say if we were to sit down again in another 20 years, uh, we'd probably be thinking about where we are today in a similar fashion. Ed, where do you see data centers going in 20 years? So I, I, I did some research trying to collect some data um, because of this. Where, where are we going? Um, the amount of data we are generating today is mind-boggling. The amount of data in the world was estimated to be 44 zettabytes at the dawn of 2020. So what is the data? What is a zettabyte? It's roughly a thousand exabytes. So what's an exabyte? An exabyte has the capacity to hold over 36,000 years worth of HD quality video or streaming, uh, the entire Netflix catalog, more than 3,000 times. By 2025, there will be 175 zettabytes of data in the global data sphere. I, I can't even get my head around that. So it's growing at an astronomical rate. It really is. So we mentioned a little bit about data centers and uptime. You know, they're always available. They're power hungry. Fans are always running uh, on the cooling side and then also just the servers themselves. So when you think about all of that and constant power, constant equipment running, it doesn't always sound like the most efficient environment for power or cooling. 
Is there anything that's being done with that in terms of efficiency for a data center? So that's a very good point. What most people don't fully appreciate is that over the last 25 years, data centers as a group have become much more efficient. Uh, if anything, um, they've been leading this subject that we're you know, deep in the middle of today. Um, consider the fact that all the power that's used in a data center is transferred to heat, okay? And it must be continuously moved and replaced by cool air again. I've had the opportunity to visit many different sites over the past 25 years. Uh, early on, I would see many different ways for handling it. Um, it, it was interesting is the only word I can think of, uh, how creative people would be as to how we manage uh, managing heat. Today, we've got, and we're very religious about hot aisle, cold aisles, about containment. Um, we use blanking plates in equipment racks. And a blanking plate essentially ensures that that cold air isn't going to just blow by. Yeah. It's, it's going to be blocked and drawn in by the equipment that needs that cool air across it. And the heat is transferred out the, the back of the equipment. And essentially, it is directed back to the uh, cooling equipment, yeah. uh, computer room, air handler, or air conditioner, yeah. uh, where it again is treated and returned. Uh, it's very efficient. We have metrics that we use today, uh, PUE, which is power usage effectiveness. There are other tools that we're using and have been using for a number of years. The motivations for this, it, it, it's good business sense. Um, again, if, we, if we're providing that kind of power, uh, we want to make sure that uh, the, the, the cooling that is necessary to deal with the byproduct heat um, is being used wisely, effectively. Underfloor, race floor areas. Um, they used to be a, a storage place for all the ethernet wires that the facility might have had. They just grew in piles. They would keep boxes down there. Uh, you don't see that anymore. It's as well-maintained and taken care of as any place else in the data center. The goal of efficiency and sustainability is a high priority, but so too is the need of the business. We, we need to remember that, that the first task, the primary objective for the data center is to handle information, to provide data, to be able to provide you the tools that we need to be able to handle or take care of our business on a day-to-day -day basis. One of the things that's been discussed is pressing IT on the use of servers. We need to be using them more efficiently. And I think we've come a long way there, but that is a little bit outside of my expertise. But again, if we have these computers there, we need to be operating them wisely. Those responsible for the operation of data center are recipients of a vast amount of knowledge gathered over all these years. Most data center owners, operators, managers will tell you change is managed very, very carefully. We don't just change from here's how we do it today 
to, well, here's the brand new way we're going to start tomorrow. They have a job to do. Anything that is introduced needs time to be proven and vetted out. Uh, what we need to do is give the data center industry an opportunity to uh, absorb this, to, to buy into it. They've been doing it. Uh, we expect availability and the resiliency of these facilities. Uh, we, we need to give them an opportunity for, to do their job. They've learned the hard way. I can tell you that because I've been there. When the data center gets quiet, it's not a very pretty moment. We've learned over all the years, we have a, a good idea of how we need to do our job. We need to maintain that through any introduction of new equipment. It's coming. It's all coming. We just need to allow time for that. Well, I think that does it for most of our topics today. We talked a lot about where the data center started, the evolution of sharing information. Just overall, a lot of good things have come from data centers. We appreciate you being on today, Ed, talking over this and your experiences and where things are going. Thank you, everyone, for listening in on this episode of Techsperts, and we will talk to you next time. Awesome.